Hello and welcome to episode 108 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing great, Mark. Thanks for asking. How about you? Not bad. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing all right, although this Jake Odorizzi news did put a little bit of a damper on my mood today. <laughs> yeah, right before we start recording, of course, Jeff Passan has to report that the Blue Jays miss out on Jake Odorizzi. He signs with the Houston Astros, a two-year deal with a what we're assuming a one-year player option additionally on that. Apparently, there's many incentives on the deal, according to John Heyman. Disappointing news to start the podcast off with. Of course, we saw last night John Heyman report that the Blue Jays are still interested in Jake Odorizzi, which is pretty much the first we had heard about Odorizzi for many, many months. And we thought the Blue Jays were kind of tapped out salary-wise. We thought they were done in the offseason because they ran out of money. They had already spent $180 million. They were tapped out. But this report made it seem like maybe the Blue Jays could be in play. But of course, ultimately, it seems like they didn't actually, weren't actually able to make that much of a push for him. So do you, I I guess, did you get your hopes up is my first question, because I got my hopes up. I had honestly, my in my mind, the ship had sailed on Odorizzi, or even a guy like Porcello. The ship had sailed in my mind. I thought the Blue Jays were done. But then this kind of just wrote me back in, and then I was disappointed, um, of course, when the Astros signed him. So what did you guys think? Did you really buy into this, um, and are you super disappointed now, or is it just kind of water under the bridge? Well, I tried not to really get my hopes up because, realistically, at this point in spring training, I didn't really expect much to happen. But I still am disappointed, primarily because of the lack of depth the Blue Jays rotation has. But, yeah, I wasn't... I tried not to get too excited, but still, it nonetheless, it's still a bit of a sad day to to hear that the Blue Jays missed out on, unfortunately, a, a yet another piece in the rotation. Yeah, to be honest with you, I never had really any optimism at, at all. And I'm going to go back to the winter, especially with Odorizzi. I just, I never really had too much optimism about it. I It makes sense now when you're looking at the details that are just emerging. You know, the Jays, first of all, let's go back to Taiwan Walker. They never went, they didn't want to go past one year with Taiwan Walker. The Mets gave him the two years. And I have to imagine the Jays weren't going to go past one year as well with Jake Odorizzi. And, uh, you know, for him, he took a better offer with Houston. He has the potential to be there for three years, as you mentioned, Mark, that there's a player option at the end of or after the second year. So, uh, of course, it's a good deal for Jake Odorizzi himself, who was obviously a late signing with spring training well underway, but just never really too much of a, um, I guess, for me to get my hopes up. Even when I saw the report yesterday, I just didn't think too much of it because obviously the one thing we did know is they were always going to be interested in him, but um, they did seem to be almost maxed out after the Springer signing around spending around uh, what their budget was this winter. So, you know, the the fact of the matter is, and I guess we can finally say this case closed as much as since we can roll out uh, we can rule out the possibility of Jake Odorizzi is that what you see now is what you're going to get in terms of what's in the organization. And um, it's that's to start. So, you know, the trade, trade deadline I've mentioned, you know, take a look at that. There's going to be names that emerge throughout the year that the Jays will be interested in. And you have to imagine that's going to be where they add. There's no way they don't add by the trade deadline with what they have. And it's a very, um, 
it's going to be a rotation. It's it's questionable, and there's going to you have to be relying on a lot of people to have a bounce back season and to be mediocre to good at best for you know for players like Robbie Ray, players like Tanner Roark. You're going to have to depend on them like that, especially someone like Steven Matz who's uh, battling for that fifth spot in the rotation. But for Jake Odorizzi, uh, for any Jays fans, I know the Jays fans wanted him. He would have been a great addition, but ever since that Springer signing, I just had no optimism for anything else, I guess, somewhat major, somewhat um, you know big or a, a big headline for the team. I think that was pretty much uh, a way to wrap it up. And, um, you know, it just didn't seem too much for me to be super optimistic and you know we don't know too much about the details yet but it's going to be around 30 million over two years that's what we're hearing just now so it's going to be uh it's a pretty it's a pretty good deal for Odorizzi so I guess the one thing to look at and I'm assuming this is what happened was the Jays just didn't want to go past that one year similar to Taiwan Walker and um you know I don't really blame them for that as well so we'll see what happens and the trade deadline is going to be you know, what I'm completely focusing on for t- in terms of an upgrade. And I guess that's the only way it's going to happen now. Yeah, you just mentioned it. John Heyman says, it looks like the deal can max out at $30 millions w- with incentives. We'll see what those incentives are as it's reported more. But yeah, the Blue Jays weren't going to spend that amount of money. I think the hope was that Odorizzi kind of waited on his market. He kind of blew his chance. And, you know, he was originally asking for a three-year deal. Maybe he lowers his asking price, goes for a one-year deal. That's when the Blue Jays get involved in the market. But again, it just never happened. And of course, he had a better offer from the Astros, maxing out at $30 million, money the Blue Jays didn't have to spend. I saw some people underrating Odorizzi. A lot of people were saying, well, he's not actually that good. He didn't really pitch in 2020 at all. I think he pitched four games or something like that. Yeah, four starts, 13.2 innings. It was injury-shortened for him. Um, But in 2019, like, he was an all-star, right? He had 30 starts. He was very, very good in 2019. 2018, 32 starts. Not quite as good, but he was still very, very good. So, I mean, some people underrating this guy, but I think when you're looking at an above-average league starter... I think that money is justified. I wish the Blue Jays had that money to spend, but again, we've litigated this conversation before. They don't have that left over, and that's fine. Um, but again, I think Odorizzi still would have been a perfect addition for this team, and I don't think anyone should be underrating that. Well, also, the big thing that I'm seeing is for the majority of his career, he's pitched quite a few innings. You know, in uh, the majority of when he's been in the major leagues, he's pitching, you know, 150, 160. I don't think he. He has not pitched 200, but he's consistently pitching a lot of innings. And I think that's what the Blue Jays are going to need to get out of other guys. And I'm not saying that they can't do that. But I think for me, the biggest thing is now that they they don't have a guy that could potentially eat up a lot of innings, they're really going to need to rely on potentially Anthony Kay, Nate Pearson, Tanner Roark, any of these types of guys. And that, I think, is the biggest area of concern is just when you miss out on guys that you know are going to pitch a lot of innings and take you deep into games... It just, you're going to have to find that, that talent elsewhere. And, and it looks like elsewhere is within the Blue Jays organization. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, a lot of, there's been a lot of hate on the rotation and I, I'm not one to judge already. Like I understand the disappointment there is for the starting rotation. I know Jacob, you are one of the people as well with the disappointment with it. It's just, it has potential it's hard for me I'll to already, that. it does. And that's what I, that's what I'm going to say. It has a low floor and it's, you know, you can't really already just hate on it. Like I, I, I just, I can't accept that right now. I just, you have to see what happens. And 
I know like you're it's going to be relying on a lot of guys to bounce back and you're going to have a few people bounce back but maybe not everybody that's just and of course there's going to be injuries and whatnot and you know I was thinking about it yesterday too and I don't think we've really mentioned it yet <laughs> it's that um you know especially in a season like this we know the complications when someone tests positive or has a close contact you're on a, a list and you're shut down for at least a week and the depth this year is going to be tested no matter what so you're going to have a lot more than five pitchers starting uh, for this team, you're going to have upwards maybe six, seven, eight, maybe even more. There's going to be a lot of guys you see coming in and out and rotating. And that's, and for, you know, the one thing is the Jays have the depth because regardless now, and you want to look at the people who won't make the team and for the potential for the Buffalo Bisons, whenever they do start in AAA, as they've been delayed for a uh, at least a month, we'll touch on that in a bit. That's a pretty solid rotation down that they're going to have in Buffalo. So, you know, the depth is there and it's a low floor. But you're going to have to rely on a lot of guys to at least overperform and be good at best. So that's the way it's going to be. But I'm just I'm not going to be the one already to say it's junk. Because you got to let them, give them a chance. Let's see what they got. And uh, for someone like Hunjin Ryu, you know, there's injury concern. I'm not going to lie. And he, over 162 games, we've seen that. There's been a few times where he has been on the injured list for a few times. There's Nate Pearson, who's going to have to pitch really well and is going to be looking to pitch really well. And the one thing, hopefully, with Nate Pearson right now is hopefully he gets healthy because we don't know too much of the extent of his growing injury. The one thing we know so far, it's not major. But, of course, we know the way it works. It can change. It can start building up in weeks and weeks. Will he have to be stretched out? Maybe, Mark. You know, the possibility that you said of him not starting the season in the rotation, I think you have to consider that now. And not because of the service time, just because if he doesn't get enough reps, they're not going to be. he's not going to be ready. So that's the one thing I'm looking at right now. But... And then, of course, there's a lot of guys here that you just don't know what you're going to get. But the conclusion is, let them pitch before you judge, all right? Like, just let's see what happens first. And, of course, the trade deadline is coming up, so fans need to relax just a bit. Bryson is through with your crap. He's had it. I've had it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. And you mentioned... Nate Pearson right there. As we turn our attention to spring training in the first week of ball games, Nate Pearson probably is the biggest news that we got out of this week of spring training. Of course, he's out with a groin strain, a grade one right groin strain, which Ross Atkins announced on Thursday. We don't know how long it's going to be, Ross Atkins said at that press conference, quote, whether that's a week or a couple of weeks or longer, it's too hard to say at this point. So the timetable for when Pearson might come back and play a role in the Blue Jays rotation is very, very unclear. Um, First off, I think the expectations of all of us is that he won't make the opening day roster. At least that's what I'm thinking. Because obviously already I was kind of on the fence. I thought the Blue Jays needed the starts. They just needed someone to eat innings. So of course they're going to have Pearson there. Um, But now that he's injured, I don't see them rushing him back. Especially when they're dealing with a guy who has an injured history. He was injured last year. Um, I think they're going to want to take their time and make sure he's healthy. He has his feet under him so he can set the the groundwork for a good season instead of rushing him back and potentially costing, um, uh, you know, talent through the course of the season because he's, you know, dealing with nagging injuries. So I think they just want to pause, reset, get him fully healthy, wait maybe an extra week or two to make sure that's possible and then start ramping up. Exactly. And this is a guy who has had injury histories in the past. Uh, I think he, he, I believe he's had a concussion and he's also had some arm injuries, especially with last season. And a couple of years ago, I think it took him out of, of playing for the majority of the, the minor league season. But it's really going to depend on the Blue Jays caution and 
how cautious they want to be. And I mentioned all of his previous injuries because this is a different injury, thankfully. I mean, we don't want an injury, but it is different. So it's not like he's re-aggravated anything previously, or at least not to my knowledge. So it really is going to depend. I You, you Mark, said that you don't think he's going to make the starting rotation, at least because of this. Probably accurate. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rush Nate Pearson. Yes, the Blue Jays need starting pitchers, but you're not going to you're not going to sacrifice the entire season or, or the majority of his season just to get him on the opening day roster and with service time doesn't matter anymore he's uh, the, the clock is ticking he's going to pitch and it's going to count towards his rookie deal so just wait it out there's really no harm in it yes the blue jays rotation could struggle i think it's still going to struggle even if he's if he's in it but just just give it some time let him let him really get to where he wants to be and the Blue Jays, I think it was Charlie Montoyo said that he wants to wait till he is 100% pain-free, so really, I can't complain too much. Yeah, it's unfortunate that this happened, but you just really, you gotta let him, you gotta let him rest, and uh, it's, it's what it is, and we'll, we'll see when he gets back. Yeah, okay, I'm just gonna say it before, yeah, before I predict anything, I just, of course, want to say, you know, you hope he's healthy, okay, like you, and I want him to be there, and in this case, I hope I'm wrong, but I've, is maybe it's you know covering the team or posting about it on Instagram or just experiencing it. Every time there's these types of injuries, it's never, never what they say it is. Like a week, especially with the growing, everyone heals faster. And the one thing with that is you do not want that reaggravated because it's only going to get worse. So that's why I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit concerned, just a little bit because even if they don't, because you just don't know. Like they're gonna, they're, they, I think they said a, at least a week or two. What if that, you know. Is that going to start turning into two, three, and then right at right when he gets healthy again, you're going to be in the last week of spring training, and it may not be enough to stretch him out, and that's the concern for me, and especially his age. And Jacob, you just mentioned the injury problems he's had with his arm. At least it's not his arm, but his growing that could be. It's just a bit of a concern for me, and I do want him on that opening day roster. And if healthy, I do think he will be there. But you know, unfortunately, the only thing that may hold him back from doing that now is his injury. So. You know, we, we know the depth they have. We know people like Julian Merriweather's being stretched out, Anthony Kay's being stretched out, Ryan Barucki. They're all names to, I guess, uh, that could be emerging as possible options to fill in for Pearson until he's ready. There's um, there's Ross Stripling, who just arrived to camp this week, somebody who can also do that. Maybe the Jays go with openers. You know, there's a whole uh, different... There's a lot of possibilities they can go in here, but I'm just... I'm a little bit concerned because I've I've seen it too much of covering the team and just following the team that it's never what they say it is. And you have to be very lucky for it to be that way. And that's why uh, I just haven't heard enough for me to believe that he is going to be ready at this point. But I do hope he is. And if he is, he will be on the team for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, and just to expand on those quotes that we got from Ross Atkins, he also said, quote, Our goal and hope is that you're seeing him again here in spring trading pretty quickly. But we will be cautious because we can and we'll make sure that that pain is completely gone before he's back on the mound. And then, again, his quote that I said earlier, whether that's a week or a couple of weeks or longer, is too hard to say at this point. So it seems like their goal is pretty much what we said. They want to make sure his fundamentals are sound, that he is set up well to succeed, and that that pain is completely gone before they start ramping things up again. And even if we see him towards the end of spring training, he's going to be starting pretty much from scratch after not throwing for a couple of weeks. So I put the possibilities of him making the opening day roster um, as a starter at pretty much zero right now. I think it's going to be happening maybe late April. That's what I'll put it at because I think, again, they want to be cautious. They want to make sure this is totally dealt with 
before they ramp it up. If you guys had to choose an area of time for him to make his 2021 debut in, what would you put it at? Again, I'd put it at late April. I'm going to say the exact same thing, pretty much for the reasons that we've listed. The last thing you want is a re-aggravated injury and a pitcher that you relied on not be reliable for the rest of the season. And th- this gives me a very different injury, but it still gives me flashbacks to Aaron Sanchez on how he was just constantly in the rotation, in the bullpen, out with his injury, and then he was eventually traded, but that's the last thing you want. You don't want to rely on a guy and have a cornerstone of your rotation not be playing. So be cautious. You don't absolutely have to have him pitching April, whatever whatever his turn in the rotation would be, April 10th or, you know, whatever the case is. So have him pitch when he's ready, and yeah, it'll probably be late April, late May or mid-May at 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 best or at at the latest but yeah it's don't expect him to to pitch in the first three weeks of the season i'm gonna be a bit little i'm gonna be a little bit more optimistic so i'm looking at the calendar now it's uh it's march 6th so i'm gonna say mid-april and then the latest late april so i just think that depending on it maybe a couple weeks is when he resumes throwing and uh you know i don't you know the one thing i do wonder too is let's just say he's not ready as we're assuming now is does he start the year on the alternate side, or do they actually send him even lower to double-A maybe? Because we know the triple-A season's delayed, and um, there's going to be alternate sites until then. But do they want to give him game ac- game action, or will they just put him in the alternate site? Either way, he's going to be pitching somewhere. So I'd, I'm going to say if he starts throwing again in a couple weeks, I think mid-April to la- and then late April at the latest. Um so I just, for for Nate, for Nate Pearson, they're going to be very cautious, especially someone like him. And until he's 100%, you don't want any sort of re-aggravation to his growing, but at least it's on his arm. That's the one thing I'll take away from it, but it's just unfortunate. Like, he, he barely, he's barely pitched. He threw a couple innings. He's had one appearance, and it, it's already beginning. Like, this is the one thing that you don't want already is the injury bug. So hopefully we are all completely off in a couple of weeks when he's returning we'll see what happens but um just the injury bug something that you fear and it's just it's not a good rabbit hole to go down especially with the starting pitching as or the starting rotation as a question mark itself like this is just doesn't seem like the ideal situation uh as you know especially to start this year so is it just a triple a season that they're delaying because i'm out of the loop on this is it just a triple a season i believe it is yeah like i believe it is i haven't heard anything on on double a so i assume double a is going to start on time that's why i was wondering if maybe they send nate pearson down to new hampshire for a bit or they want him at the alternate site i just don't know i know single a obviously always starts a little bit later so completely rule that one out but uh it's either going to be uh it's going to be new hampshire or it's going to be their alternate site i assume they'll just be in dunedin no sorry i I assume they'll be in buffalo on just because there won't be any triple a games there for about a month so that's probably what you're going to be looking at and then of course triple a starts may 1 i believe right now so you hope that's when they start too because you want to see these guys uh play again they they've already missed a, a year of action for those who weren't on the team and the best was, or some people, the best case scenario was being on that alternate, uh, the alternate site where you were just pretty much playing simulated games against each other. You want to see game action for those guys and for their development, especially people below AAA. Yeah, so it does look like the AA and single A was already scheduled to start later. So it's going to be staying on the same time frame. AAA is moving later to be on the same timeline as AA and single A. So. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. You mentioned the alternate training site, and the alternate training site has been brought up again this week. Um, Josh Palacios, who has been 
turning a lot of heads so far in spring training. He, so far, is killing it. He's had four games, nine at-bats, five hits, two doubles, a triple, a home run, including a single shy of the cycle in three at-bats in yesterday's game where he also had five RBI. He's only struck out twice. He's batting overall 556, slugging of 1.333. He's been absolutely insane. Of course, nine at-bats, tiny sample size, but he mentioned as part of the reason for why he thinks he has broken out, why he thinks he's improved a lot this spring, both offensively and we've seen him improve defensively as well, was because he was at the alternate training site. He said it helped him not have a fear of being over-evaluated or failing or not being able to focus and improve on what he needs to because at the training site, they weren't playing games. So he said that training and that, you know, not having to to play a game day in and day out helped him focus on what he needs to improve. So it was really interesting to see those quotes from him. And I think so far, I have three guys that stand out to me this spring, and we'll get to the other two guys later, but Josh Palacios is the number one guy. He's turned a lot of heads. I don't know how much of a space there is for him on the major league roster, but he's impressing a lot, and he's definitely the number one guy I would say is um, is coming out of the blue and surprising a lot of people this spring. Well, one the one thing that I've noticed, and one of the problems with the way spring training is this year, is we really don't see much going on. Uh, I have seen some reports on Twitter and, and whatnot, but as you mentioned, Josh Palacios, he's been fantastic. I've heard a lot about Aurelvis Martinez, hopefully I pronounced that right, and he's been gaining a, a bit of attention earlier in the week about how good his exit velocity is, and apparently he and Luis Rivera have been working on things defensively because that's kind of the one thing that he needs to improve on. Uh, also, people that I've looked at, when, when the Blue Jays first played the Yankees, Simeon Woods Richardson was pitching. I heard a lot of uh, attention being thrown towards him because he has also pitched, it said, two scoreless against, or he yeah, two scoreless innings against the, basically the opening day Yankees roster. He faced uh, DJ LeMahieu, Aaron Judge, and throughout that he only allowed one walk. So that's really interesting. Also, out of his 28 pitches in that appearance, on, uh, 14 of them were strikes. However, the problem was is he was falling behind in the count. But if you're if you're able to rebound and do well against those those big hitters, then that is showing good promise. Um, but yeah, it's just the hardest thing about spring training this year is that we really can't see much. So we're just kind of going by what other people are telling us. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot of good things coming from these pitchers, uh, pitching prospects. That is that the Blue Jays have, and hopefully they can come up this year or in the next couple of years and and really. Uh, make a name for themselves with this team yeah talk about uh josh palacios coming out of nowhere and just you know a lot of you know i've always seen his name i guess circulating around the the minor league system but there's no way fans are too familiar with him so the one thing about him too is uh he's been through just looking at it he's been pretty much through the entire uh minor league system for the jays the actually he's actually never played in triple a yet but um he was uh just looking now he's 25 years old and just as I mentioned, he went to college with Auburn, so that's where he started. And of course, uh, you know, going through just looking at it, he's been through all the types of A ball for the Jays, even going back when Lansing was still an affiliate. And he's been through New Hampshire, and of course, like I just mentioned, he's never been to AAA. So, but good for him for making an impact. And you wonder too, is that maybe the way he's performing? You know, he obviously won't make the team, but maybe you, you know, the way he's he might earn himself. Maybe I would say that fifth outfielder, sixth outfielder spot, like maybe he's one of those people that are 
first up in terms of who's in the minor league system. And I do think that the way he's playing, you might see him at some point this year. Definitely not to start the year, but, you know, pretty impressive. Um, he's just he's pretty much the the biggest highlight right now and you know the one thing about the alternate side is we really don't know too much about it and it's one thing that was pretty much only established because of uh, what happened last year with no minor league uh, season so I guess it does make sense if you're going to be playing pretty much sim- the only game action you get is simulated games against you know each other so starting or trying different things trying new things maybe less pressure it kind of makes sense but you know the one thing is you always thought about it maybe that the only thing they're you know just missing out on game action was um it's it was already big enough of a loss for them but obviously everyone's different everyone reacts different i'm sure people are gonna be you know suffering from the the, the alternate site just because of the game action and for josh palacios i guess that you can say otherwise because Clearly, he said it was one of the best things that happened to him last year, and maybe that's one of the reasons for his breakout or his early, you know, breakout so far in the spring. And he's earning himself pretty much a spot in the lineup every day, which is good for him, as they want to see more and more of him. Which is why I'm thinking that the way he's playing, he could be that fifth, sixth guy for the outfield, which means he starts the season in AAA for sure, or to start in the alternate site, and then, of course, when AAA begins playing games. But, yeah, Simeon Woods-Richardson's another one, Jacob, and, you know, you were mentioning what he did, and he he struck out the Yankees pretty quick. I think the, the strikeout on Stanton was about 30 seconds, and the one thing about him is I guess you can compare his pace to someone like Ari Dickey in terms of working really fast from what we know as Blue Jays fans. So he worked really fast. He struck out Stanton and Judge with a fastball. He struck out Glaber Torres with a slider. So he's got a lot of tools. And just remember too, this is the one of the guys they got from Marcus Stroman. And um I, I, I don't wanna you know, I don't wanna blame any fans, but at the time you know, the, the poor guy was getting a lot of hate. And the one thing about him is he was really young. He was in, I believe it was double A at the time, and we still haven't seen him yet. And, you know, at some point this year, I think you're going to be seeing him. Another guy, too, is Alec Manoa, who's just been another one impressive. He struck out a few Yankees as well. A lot of people are wondering about him. I don't see him this year at all. I don't think he's coming up at all this year. But someone like Simeon Woods Richardson, I wouldn't be surprised at some point this year you see him. Back on Palacios for one last second. I know you said you don't think he's going to make the roster. In the situation where maybe they trade Randall Grishik, who knows how outlandish that is. Now that Jake Odorizzi is off the market, they might be still looking for a starter. Let's say they move Grishik. We've talked about this before. Is there a possibility that Palacios is a guy who starts with the Blue Jays as that fourth outfielder? Do you see him as a guy who's going to be on the roster in the majors early on in the season? Personally, I don't think it's that likely I think there's other internal options that are going to take that place I don't even think he's really like the fifth outfielder who gets the first call I think he's probably sixth or seventh at this point I think Jonathan Davis is the first call for the Blue Jays I mean he really showed what he's made of last season both offensively a little bit but more defensively I mean we remember that incredible catch down the foul line at Salem Field on the last day of the season for the Blue Jays. He really showed what he's made of, and he has made some um, strides this spring. So I think he's the guy who gets the first call. If the Blue Jays trade Randall Grishik, I think he's the fourth outfielder. I think Palacios is sixth or seventh. He's a little bit down the line. It's not to knock him, again, doing incredible this season, but he's never played above the double A. I think the Blue Jays want to give him a little bit more time, see if what he's what he's done this spring is actually for real. Exactly. And when I looked at this, I just Googled this really quickly. Jonathan Davis obviously is a right-handed batter, whereas Josh Palacios is a lefty. So potentially there's, you know, a little bit of a 
advantage for him. But yeah, I don't think it's overly likely just because of the fact that Jonathan Davis has proved himself to a degree with the Blue Jays, especially last season. He really was their fourth outfielder. He's probably next in line, you know, in terms of a hierarchy. You have the starting three, you have Grichik, then you have Davis. So, I mean, I'm not saying that it's it's unlikely or that it's impossible for him to make it to the big leagues, but it's it's really going to take multiple things for him to do that. You know, Jonathan Davis does probably have priority, some some veto power there, but but yeah, he hasn't played above double A, so it's really going to take some getting used to and saying, okay, you've you've eased yourself into triple A, you've proved yourself, and then yeah, we'll we'll give you a shot in the big leagues. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be the way he's playing now. He'll be fifth, sixth, and he will be one of the first people to be called up, like I mentioned, but probably not the first. Jonathan Davis is somebody who's just, you know, he's he's impressed because he's also made some impressive catches this spring uh, from what we know of through Twitter. Obviously, you can't. There's been a lot of limitations to, I guess, listen or watch the games. But anyways, he's been he's been another one who's uh, impressed so far. And the one thing for Davis is he's always been that guy, or at least going back to last year too, he just, you know, he deserves the opportunity. He's just never really gotten one. And the thing with him is I'm looking at his game log now. He didn't play his first game with the team until September 8th. And I do remember that he was one of, you know, he came up near the end of the year. He ended up playing, uh, I believe it was 13 games uh, at the end. But he just, he, he never got that opportunity as well. But what he did is he he did pretty he did excel when he get he got his opportunity and he ended up um like I said he only he only hit or he only played in about 13 games and um you can't really look too much at it I guess from you know his numbers but he he made a lot of catches and he's he's fast so that he he's definitely going to be the first guy to get called up but uh Palacios I think you know once he gets reps I think he will be one or the other the second or third guy to get called up I think that's safe to say and he would probably be the next as of now the next man up on that death chart and I don't even believe Palacios is even on the 40 man roster as we speak so there's going to be have to be some sort of move as well because just looking at their 40 man roster now the only other outfielder other than the usual three or four that we have right now is going is Davis that's the only one that's on the 40 man roster right now so there's going to have to be eventually some sort of move but I I do think at some point this year just cuz we know you know what the one thing is it's going to be a long season right a usual season is what we see we see more than a fifth outfielder come up. You, I, th- I think at some point by the summer, Palacios will get an opportunity because while well, we've seen it with outfielders who aren't, I guess, the, f- the first guy to get called up, you know, you see a few other guys get that opportunity. So I do think uh, you'll see Palacios at some point. But Jonathan Davis is another guy who just, unfortunately, has just never gotten that opportunity. He's always been, I guess, the odd man out. But, you know, I would like to see him get an opportunity because he's always been impressive from what I've seen both on the field. And I do think he's got some talent as well at the plate. Yeah, for sure. Um, another guy who impressed me, the second guy on my list of three guys I want to talk about is Robbie Ray. Um, I think this is someone who kind of flew under the radar in terms of performances this week. I mean, we have like the 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 headliner names, of course, like George Springer making a spring debut. Um, we had Hyunjin Ryu yesterday coming in. We've had like the big names, but I think Robbie Ray is someone early on in the week that proved himself. Again, he's only made one spring appearance and he actually wasn't all that great numbers wise. He pitched for two innings, gave up one home run, a solo shot, and that was the only hit he gave up, struck out two. But I think the most important thing about his appearance was that he threw 26 pitches and he only gave up um, two balls. So 24 of his 26 pitches were strikes, and I think that's the most important thing from what he did um, in his start. Because, of course, we know the problem with Robbie Ray is command. That's what he's struggled with the most over his career, and especially in the last few seasons. 
he led all of the major leagues um, in walks in 2020. So you look at this guy, he's obviously someone that struggles a lot with his command. And I think seeing him only throw two balls out of 26 pitches, that's exactly what he has to do. And he said after the game that he was comfortable with his command, that he felt really good, that he thought he was throwing really well. And that's exactly what you want to hear from a guy from him. He has struggled with command. Command is one thing that if he finds it, he's going to be a really good pitcher. And he showed it in his start. And I love to see it. So that's my number two guy out of the three guys I've been really impressed with so far. See, the thing with Robbie Ray is, you know, none of us have really said that he's not a good pitcher or that he, he can't throw strikes. Well, the problem is, is he's throwing too many balls. And when you look at his 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 strikeout ratio, you know, he led the league. He, he led the league in 2017 with Arizona with 12.1. And it's it's been very consistent. It hasn't dipped below 10 since that year. However... His walk, his walk per nine has been going up from anywhere close to four to now, I think it was nine with Arizona, six with the Blue Jays. So it's just that I think is the biggest thing. I with with in terms of his uh, position on the team, he's making the team, he's making the rotation, but very very promising to see him really get com- more command and show that he is able to at least lower that walk per nine because that is the biggest problem that I saw with him last year and. Pete Walker, we've heard a lot about him working with him throughout the season, really finding their groove. And yeah, I'm I'm overall, it, it's hard to say that I'm impressed because I haven't really like literally seen him, but going by what we're hearing, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely promising. Yeah. With, um, I was gonna I was going to mention that right off the top, Jacob. So thanks for stealing that, but I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it's just the, yeah, the Pete Walker effect, like, you know, when you look at it, Robbie Ray, uh, his numbers improved, I, right when he came over, uh, he made so he ended up playing five games with uh, the Jays, and of course there were seven with Arizona, so relatively close. And yeah, when you want to look at his ratios, his walk ratio in Arizona was nine. When he came over here, it ended at six point one. And is um, you know that's that's one thing that's been the problem. You guys have mentioned that his WHIP also came down as well, and a lot of other things came down. So you know the one thing, and the thing is, you need Robbie Ray to be better because with what we have on the rotation he will be that second or third guy especially with his Pearson news you know you have to imagine he's going to be one of this the first people that start right away up be behind Ryu so for Robbie Ray it's it's impressive and you need him to continue that and you hope it's something that sticks because you you know you need that performance from him but the the walking and the the command has always been a problem with him and you know we we knew about the whole thing when he was changing his windup and how you know he had to go back to his old windup how it kind of messed things up but you know the Pete Walker effect so far has been play is played off because his 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 numbers have is dipped or sorry fallen which is good because they were high and his walk ratio has also fell through about three so that's um that's pretty I guess optimistic for fans and for entering a full season that's what you want out of him because he's going to be one of those top guys in the rotation uh in terms of what we have on paper right now yeah and talking about the rotation the last guy that stood out to me was someone I think flew under the radar a little bit but Francisco Liriano um the Blue Jays need him and I mean Jacob you've been on this I think for a long time about Liriano but like the Blue Jays need pitching depth that's something that is essential to them and, I mean, so far, he's thrown two innings in two appearances. He closed out one game, um, just appeared in relief in the other. He's only walked one batter. Otherwise, he's been perfect. He's only had one strikeout as well, but seven batters faced, one walk, no hits, no runs. Um, I I think he's doing what the Blue Jays need him to do, which is just 
pitch and not give up runs um, because he needs to eat innings. That's his job if he makes a team. And so far, so good. He's shown he can do that. And I think he can surprise a lot of people, come out either of the bullpen, which I think I would prefer, or the rotation, which would, again, not be the end of the world if he shows the numbers to be good enough to be in the rotation and can surprise a lot of people, provide a lot of depth where the Blue Jays don't have it. So that's the last of my guys that I was impressed by. I like that you mentioned that he's very fluid because with the Blue Jays looking like I kind of predict we're going to see some type of opener position, at least some some point in the season, maybe it's to start. Uh, what we've seen with Liriano ever since 2009, which was his fourth year in the in the big leagues, he's been pitching you know 100 innings or more than 100 innings, close to 200 for the vast majority of his career, except for a couple seasons towards the end of the 2010s where he was you know, pitching a little bit less with some injuries and, and whatnot. But yeah, this is this is a guy that if you throw him in the bullpen or the rotation, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's where he's sticking. You know, you could have him as a bullpen guy that comes out every two uh, or every every four or five days as a three, four inning guy. And that's, I think that's what I'm liking. And it's definitely, it's, it's, it's a very good sign. And as you said, you know, I've been very high on this guy. I liked what I saw when he first came to the Blue Jays and or in, in 2016, obviously, 2017 was a bit of a different story. But yeah, it's if he's able to do what he's done in his career, which is pitch and pitch deep into games and at least pitch a, a lot during the season, then he will definitely make the team. And I'm I'm very fond of him. Yeah, he's one of the people that I had making the team in the bullpen from going back when we had our um, our preview a few weeks ago. And just, you know, it's obviously going to be a different role for him than we, what we saw him or from a few years ago, what we saw from him, because he was a starter, obviously. And I guess near the end of the season, I believe it was 2016, when he came out of the bullpen in the wildcard game, and he was very effective coming out of the bullpen. So he kind of transitioned, I guess, a little bit there. But from what we know of Francisco Liriano, he was, he's always kind of been a starter. So, you know, even going back to his uh, 20, let's just take a look here, 2019, he didn't, he didn't start one game. So I guess that transition period already happened. Of course, he didn't pitch last year but two years ago it was his you know he went back to Pittsburgh for one year and maybe that's when I guess his his role permanently changed because the year before he was he was starting games for Detroit but you know that as he would be an effective reliever I do think that and you know I guess never say never of the possibility that he starts a game this year or at least as an opener because can't rule that out obviously but for him you know he's he's looked pretty good and he's always been somebody that I've liked with the Jays you know he's always been effective and even when he came out of the bullpen in that wildcard game a couple years ago he was really effective so I've, I've always liked Francisco Liriano and um, he's bounced around a lot obviously but somebody that could easily make the team uh, you know as a non-roster invite but or invitee so good for him to see him pitching well so far and you hope it continues for him to make the team because um, he was one of my predictions I believe Jacob you had him as well making the team so that's the one thing I'd keep it, keeping an eye on mm-hmm. and did anyone else stand out to you guys because I know like there's obviously the names that we've seen like Palacios but there's also some guys who have had good performances that maybe some people aren't talking about and you've had your eye on so is there anyone else I know you mentioned Simeon Woods Richardson but people who you've been watching a lot and really impressed by uh, there's been a few. It's just you know I'm I'm ex- you know, a lot of uh, what I've seen is what I've expected. You know you've, you're seeing Bo Bichette who is walking a lot so far to start and he's been really good at the plate and I've I've really 
been impressed with that. Even that very first game against New York where it was televised, I believe he had, you know, his very first at bat of the spring. It was almost like a 10 pitch at bat. And it was, I believe it let it, yeah, it started out. Yeah. And it ended up, it in started out. Oh, and two. And he, and he worked it to a, a walk. Yep. So it was really impressive. Yeah. And of course there's Vladimir Guerrero jr. Who, you know, you, this needs to be the breakout year firm or else there's going to be a lot of questions. We've, we've gone over that. There's been George Springer who's just leading off and getting base hits, which is really Good to see, but you something you expect. Lourdes Gurriel Jr.'s hit a, a home run already so far. That's something that I've liked as well. And the one thing, too, I, I guess it's not really, you know, we haven't really touched on it yet, and I want to ask you guys about it. You know, I just feel like it hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Is the catching controversy, because you have Danny Jansen, but Reese McGuire is out of options. Is he going to make the team, or will Alejandro Kirk make the team? Who's going to start the year as the backup catcher? You know, there's a lot of people that do think that Reese McGuire could make the team just because he's out of options. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on that because I personally think it should go to the better hitter and that's Alejandro Kirk. And the other question is, is, you know, if Danny Jansen continues to be mediocre at the plate, you wonder how long until I guess it kind of transitions into an alternate thing between Kirk and him or somebody like that, where Jansen's obviously starting for Hunjin Ryu, but how can, you know, how will he, how many games will he start consistently if his bat slows him down this year and someone like Alejandro Kirk's outperforming him at the plate. Well, with Danny Jansen, I was, uh, I was just trying to look up his, uh, look up some news on Twitter and he obviously, he caught Hunjin Ryu a couple days ago. He had a home run there. He said he feels like he's getting his timing back, which is a good thing because as we've all seen is Danny Jansen's bat has definitely not been his strong suit, but when it comes to Reese McGuire this year, he has gotten into four games with seven plate appearances uh, five of those at bats. Two, he had two walks, so there's you know there's that. But he doesn't have a hit yet, so it's really gonna depend. We heard that Reese McGuire was gonna get into a lot of games in spring training to really try and re-earn his position, but it it really is gonna depend on who outperforms who. And Alejandro Kirk, I would say, has the advantage as of right now, considering what he did last year in the last. I think he got into ten games, so it's really gonna depend on who outperforms who. Uh, we know Danny Jansen's for sure making the roster. That's not a question, but it it really is going to depend on is Reese McGuire able to not only prove that he's good and that he can outperform Alejandro Kirk, but prove that he last season and, and the previous years where he wasn't hitting as well really were an outlier and he, he's able to perform at least league average, if not better. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, I like to think like, we have all the answers, but I really don't know what the Blue Jays do with this. Because obviously they don't want to lose Reese McGuire. And Alejandro Kirk only played like nine games in the majors. But at the same time, it looks a whole lot like McGuire might be a dud and Kirk might be a star. So it's like, it small sample size, all that stuff. But I'm, I'm really leaning towards Alejandro Kirk. And, you know, whether they try to send Reese McGuire down and he gets claimed off waivers by someone, I'm willing to take that risk. I don't know if he really will get claimed off waivers because he hasn't shown himself to be a good catcher in the majors. Of course, he we've talked about his defensive skills, but I don't think even that's really going to outweigh any um, offensive problems that we know he has. So I I don't know. I like that's my answer to the question. I don't know what the Blue Jays are going to do, but I I have a very hard time envisioning a situation where Reese McGuire takes a spot from Alejandro Kirk if the Blue Jays are ready to give Alejandro Kirk a full-time roster spot. Yeah, and it's it's not even about Kirk just being better. It's just that 
you know, we've seen this, and unfortunately, we've seen this with baseball and other sports is that unfortunately, that guy that has more flexibility in terms of options in baseball, sometimes is the odd man out. And because of that, it, it, it also depends on the Jays willing to take the chance to lose McGuire. And the one thing too is um, for, you know, I don't know how taxi squads work this year, but the one thing that what that was a rule last year is that you actually have to clear waivers as well to qualify for the taxi squad so it literally is reese mcguire makes the team or he's going through waivers so that's the one thing but of course you know personally i don't i wouldn't i guess be upset if they lost him because you when you look throughout the rest of the organization you have somebody like riley riley adams as well who's a, a catching prospect for the team and i see people like him who are in the the organization that's why i wouldn't be too uh, upset if they take the chance and lose Maguire from waivers, but I personally think he wouldn't go claim. But I guess um, there's a chance he could. You can't rule that out. Somebody looking for catching depth would take a chance on him. But yeah, Alejandro Kirk, no questions, the better player. It's just you know, in terms of his his, he's got more flexibility with his options. Does that lead to Reese Maguire getting a shot? I don't know, but I I do hope it is Kirk as well. I think Kirk has established himself as the best hitter in terms of the catching position on this team. And that's why I wonder if Kirk does start the year or whenever he get he gets up and he outperforms if if he outperforms Jansen at the plate, you know how much more is Jansen going to be that starter, right? As much as we will see him personally catching for hundred Ryu because that seems to be where Ryu's most comfortable. Of course, you won't take that away and you won't take games away from him there. But you know Kirk started DHing as well in the lineup near the end of the year. I know they had three catches at the time. But, you know, they they were trying to get his bat in there as much as they could. And that's the one thing I am I do wonder is how much longer is the starting leash on Danny Jansen. Mm-hmm. Jacob, did you have anyone that really stood out to you more than what we've already talked about? Well, I was going to bring up Danny Jansen, but we kind of just talked about that. I think I'm I'm impressed with very small sample size, but hearing that he is starting to get his timing back and he's really starting to prove himself that, you know, hey, maybe... I can improve and I can not only be a good defensive catcher, but also be a good offensive catcher because as much as I want to say that he's the starting catcher and that he doesn't have a role to lose at the same time, if Alejandro Kirk or Reese McGuire or whoever it is, if they are outperforming him offensively, we will see them more except for Hunjin Ryu. We'll see him, him maybe see a reduced role, but that's the biggest thing. I have also seen some, some highlights from Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Hitting a couple home runs. So it's been good. Uh, George Springer, thankfully, I, we were able to see his, his first hit, at least from a, a video on Twitter. Someone someone recorded it. But m- most of it is just me kind of looking for or looking at the, the parts of the team that were not as good or the players that had some weaknesses work on them. And Danny Jansen, for me, has been in a very small sample size, has been the, the biggest thing that I've paid attention to. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, another thing we wanted to talk about today is not as fun of a conversation. Um, the Blue Jays um, under a little bit of heat this week because of Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins, of course, both of them coming over from the Cleveland organization and um, being involved in hiring and advancement and promotion decisions um, with Mickey Calloway, who, of course, um, if our listeners don't know, check out The Athletic. They've done some incredible reporting on it, but Callaway has been alleged to by five women who work in sports media to aggressively pursue them with unwanted sexual advances. Um, the Athletic reported that Callaway sent inappropriate photos to three of the women and asked one to send nude photos in return. Um, the influence of the Blue Jays on this, the connection that the Blue Jays have, like I mentioned, Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, coming over from Cleveland. 
um, in that 2015-2016 offseason, but they were both involved in the organization when Callaway was coming up through the organization before he went to the Mets as a manager and then to the Angels as a pitching coach, which is what he is now, I assume, not for much longer, of course, MLB is investigating, we'll see what goes there. Um, the big question a lot of people asked, had and asked was, did Ross Atkins, who was on the player side of things, he was on the development side of things, he was the one who was most involved in this decision, more so than Mark Shapiro, did he know? Because there was a lot of questions going on in the Cleveland organization about what Terry Francona knew, um, what the, the Cleveland president knew, what the Cleveland GM knew. There was a lot of questions going around there. And basically what Ross Atkins said in his press conference is that he wasn't aware. I'll read the quote out now, but he said, quote, I was absolutely not aware of those allegations. All of it is so disheartening and sad. I failed. I regret that. As a leader, it's our responsibility to ensure that our staff feels safe and supported, and I deeply apologize to anyone who ever faced harassment or didn't feel comfortable to come forward. Um, I get a few things from that quote. I'm not going to dive into you know whether Ross is telling the truth or not of whether he knew, but I think what's important is the Blue Jays aren't looking at this. Ross Atkins isn't just saying, you know, I didn't know, that's fine. I'm not at fault at all. He's saying, you know, I do bear some responsibility. I bear a lot of responsibility for not being aware that this thing was going on. We've heard that it was kind of common knowledge within the Cleveland organization, within baseball, that Mickey Calloway was this type of person. So I think it's really important that Ross Atkins is taking some responsibility and saying, look, I failed. I should have done better. We should have had these things in place to make sure someone like this can't get away with this. Um, and I think it's really important that Ross Atkins is saying that. And I think the next step is to see whether it advances itself into action, whether the Blue Jays actually approach things differently, whether they institute new HR reporting policies, new um, you know, sexual harassment training policies, which we know the players are subject to sexual harassment training. No one in the front office has to undergo sexual harassment training. So whether the Blue Jays try to change that, um, you know, I, again, I think it's really important that Ross Atkins recognized mistakes were made. Um, he said that, you know, the Blue Jays are far too white, far too male, and that has to change. I think that's really important, but I think the, the rubber meets the road when we see what the Blue Jays to do to rectify this in the future. But I think this is a good first step. Exactly. And the thing is, is let's say best, I mean, there's no best case scenario here, but say Ross Atkins truly didn't know what was going on. I still, it, it still doesn't really sit right for me because when you're in a position of power to any degree, I think you do need to know what's going on, especially within the inner workings of your organization. And truly, I don't think if Ross Atkins or anybody had some some knowledge or anything like that, we won't really know until there's an investigation. But this, I don't know, I just, as a, as a guy, this just really does not sit right for me, knowing that there are other people that want to do these types of things. Like, it's just, I, I don't know how how people can really think that a they're going to get away with this or b even if they do get away with this why this is right or this is good it just i don't know it really does not sit right with me and and i do think that even if someone like ross atkins or whoever it is any organization didn't have any part to play in this i think there is still value in admitting that hey you know what if if one person in our organization failed and is doing something terrible then we all need to work to make this better because man it's just it really does not sit right with me knowing that people can just kind of get away with this and, and, and do these things. And 
thankfully, I mean, we don't want these things to happen, but thankfully people are coming through and saying, hey, this happened to me because we can all get better. And if, if somebody is doing this, then we, we should know and we should really work to improve that and avoid that from ever happening because, it, it again, it it really bothers me knowing that things like this are happening. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. It's something that uh, is, I guess, needs to change. But, you know, it's it's hard for me to, I guess, relate to anything. And I guess as well for you guys, we're all three white guys, right? So it's hard for us to kind of, um, it, you know, just, I guess, compare ourselves to it. It's just, unfortunately, the best we can do is hear about it. And um, you just know that something's, something's, you know, things are still wrong in this world. And we are, uh, hopefully we're, we get on the right track one day, but you know, the, the most important thing, no matter if it's your race, your sexuality, your gender, your color, it's just that you need to be comfortable in the workplace and you need to say something if you're not. And I think, you know, I believe there's a anonymous hotlines now that the MLB has set up as well with other leagues, which is a good first step because people need to speak up if they're not comfortable. And unfortunately, this is just um, something that I guess happened years ago, but it's still something that's not right now. And, unfor- you know, Mickey Calloway uh, should lose his job. I believe he's suspended right now, but I think the right thing to do would be letting him go. And, you know, people like this just need to be- need to get removed from whatever environment they're in, no matter if it's baseball, another sport, any sort of business in anyone's personal life. It just, you need to be- feel comfortable in the workplace and we need to take the steps to get better because, you know, we're not perfect. And I think we are starting to take steps, but we still are nowhere near perfect. And that's why the one thing is, you know, you hope you Ross Atkins is telling the truth. Unfortunately, none of us would know. But, um, you know, you, the one thing you could tell unless or the one thing you can tell is he was pretty remorseful in his um, his statement and he seemed pretty upset about it. The one thing is, though, which I find a little bit strange is, you know, Shapiro did speak. He just uh, he didn't speak a lot. And I think a lot of it more went to Atkins. And I, maybe it's Atkins just protecting Shapiro or speaking on behalf of him. But, um, you know, it just you, you really don't know what, what truly happened years ago when they were both in Cleveland. But the, the one thing is, is that you, you hope that one day we can make progress and eliminate this as much as, po- as possible. But the, the bottom line is, is people need to feel comfortable wherever they are. And if they're not, someone needs to speak up. And this can't be, I guess, you know, buried under the rug and then s- somehow resurfacing years after where something should have been done at the time. Yeah, I think the thing with Shapiro is, he was more on the business side of things. This was mentioned in the Sportsnet article that first reported that he had a, a staff meeting on, I think it was Wednesday, to talk about the, the connection and everything that went on. As president and CEO of the Blue Jays, he held the same role with Cleveland. He was on the business side of things. And it was more Ross Atkins who was involved in player development, involved in coaching in the minor leagues. Um, of course, he used to be a minor league pitcher, um, but that was more his jurisdiction, his portfolio that it fell under. And he was the one who originally hired Callaway in 2010 or 2011. So I think it was important that he was the one who had to take responsibility for this. But yeah, it's clear that what baseball has done to rectify this problem isn't enough. I mean, yeah, there's a hotline. Yeah, there's training, as I mentioned, which isn't mandatory for front office people, mandatory for players, but it's it's not enough. The fact that the, this thing could happen and it be common knowledge that players commonly know that Callaway does this kind of thing, that you know it's a, a thing in the media that people recognize. And the fact that it can be common knowledge and not be acted on for years and years and years that Callaway is in baseball, that's a problem. So something has to be fixed. And it doesn't stop at Callaway. Callaway and Jared Porter and all these guys, they're just, you know, the tip of the iceberg, I think. You know there's other guys who are getting away with it right now, and 
MLB and teams have to take leadership and do something to make sure that this that this stops and that it it really does get improved on because again it's it's not just Callaway it's not just Porter it extends beyond that and can't sweep this under the rug it sports really has to be a place for everyone and like you said Bryson it's that something like this stops it from being that and it makes people uncomfortable so um, obviously it's really important but um, on that note I think we'll end our podcast there not a, a high note to end the podcast on but again really important conversation to have and, and recognize the steps that still need to be taken for the Blue Jays and other teams around baseball and just professional sports in general but thank you to listening for this episode um, you can check out our patreon patreon.com slash section 138 pod you get access to our patron only discord we have bloopers choice of outro and intro music on the pod lots of awesome benefits and it just goes to help support what we're doing if we're being completely honest we'll still still do it if you don't support the patreon we don't need the money but it's just it, it just helps support what we're doing and helps us you know grow the podcast a bit so um, you can also check out our Instagram and Twitter at Section138Pod. You can rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, and we'll catch you next week.